every entrepreneur has a story. Welcome to Happy Half Hour with an Entrepreneur, where each episode, your host, Brian Carney, will share a drink with a successful business owner and have them discuss their unique journey, gaining insight on what it takes to be an entrepreneur and different ways to get there. Brian isn't just a beer nerd. He's also the co-founder of River's Edge Advisors, a financial planning firm headquartered in Delaware, specializing in working with business owners. It's time to pour yourself a drink and enjoy a happy half hour with an entrepreneur. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Happy Half Hour with an Entrepreneur. I am your host, Brian Carney. My guest today is Tom Harvey. Tom grew a waste management company to over $100 million in gross revenue before selling it in 1997. Following the sale of his first business, he used his entrepreneurial spirit to start a real estate development business. Today, he's the chairman and CEO of a real estate investment and management company called Harvey Hanna. Tom, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. I appreciate you you coming on. Uh, obviously, we go way back, went to high school with your kids. So, uh, you know, I've known you for, for a long time, so I'm excited to talk to you about this. Yeah, it, it's, um, wow. <laughs> 30 years plus and counting. Yeah. Exactly. And for, for our conversation, I'm going to be trying this beer. It's a, a company called Aslan Brewery. Okay. And the Where beer is called Cortez and His Men. So it's a, a brewery in Virginia. So I'll give it a rating at the end. There you go. Yeah. Well, let's start off with the easy question. Tell us a little bit about your company. I actually have three prime. We have some single purpose companies, but the Three primary businesses I have now are uh, the warehouse distribution facility development. Um, we also do hotels and some for our own portfolio, some for others. We have a management company in that that's a hospitality management company that manages hotels and, and or restaurants. Um, we like that business and we like the fact that we do contract fee for service for third parties as well as ourselves, because what it's done is allowed that business to develop a scale that um, a lot faster that, than we otherwise would have. So we could draw some pretty darn good talent to, to it. Yeah. And then, yeah. Believe, and then believe it or not, uh, a couple of years back, um, Jeff Rollins and a fellow named Rad Hastings, who's kind of an investment banking type, and I restarted another um, solid waste collection business, and that company's called Trash Tech. Okay. And and the guy that I did when I I sold Harvey and Harvey in 97 actually merged it technically with, with a public company, and the guy that was working for the public company um, that was the fellow that I worked out my deal with, um, as and he's an investor as well and is running that. So we're looking to build that one, um, as we go forward. Wow. That, um, you got, a, so you got a lot going on. Fair amount. I, I had a, I had a, um, friend who coincidentally was our quarterback at my high school, Jerry McNesby. He's been around state government and was the treasurer over it. Dell Tech for a number of years, and uh, he asked me oh, a few weeks ago about Dintone, and he's kind of like, well, "Why are you still working?" And I, said, <laughs> I said, "Jerry, it took this long for me to get off the bench and get on the first team, you know, <laughs> become a starter," <laughs> which kind of cracked him up. But um, you know, the answer to that question really is, um, I like what I do. I do it with people that I enjoy working with. I have the 
um, three boys plus my nephew TJ, who's a very important part of my life involved um, in the hospitality business. I have a couple of people that are partners in the managed company who, who actually understand and know the industry. If you were going to, I mean, and have forgotten more than Oliver know about sure. that business, which is perfect. Um, I think combined the two of them have something like over 70 years of experience and, wow. uh, and it's, an, it's an interesting business. We've, we've developed a really great working relationship with Hyatt. And so we've done several Hyatt, um, brand hotels. Uh, we're doing one right now, Kent Narrows on the South entrance to the Narrows that will open next month. Oh, wow. And, that's uh, great. Yeah, and, and that one will be, I think it's 120 rooms, uh, and they've got six or seven weddings booked already. It's going to be one of those type of locations. And That's amazing. They've got over 3,000 room nights already booked um, before, I mean, and, and the weddings they've sold um, were during construction. Nobody's even seen other than renderings what it is we're presenting. So it's wow. going to be, but, but it's going to be nice and we're going to do a that that's awesome well i, I kind of want to go back to you know so you, you start talked a little bit about the waste management business so how do you even get started in your first company like how does that even come to be well well that one that one was um there was a company called harvey and knots and you maybe remember the knots bus company which is yeah. still a, well um my father started uh, the trash business when he was a kid literally with a wagon wow um, and he was hauling groceries, but a guy asked him if he would haul his trash down to the local dump. And he got twice what he was getting for groceries um, to haul the trash. And so, <laughs> the rest, is, as they say, is history. You know, he like, I can haul groceries for a nickel and trash for a dime. I'll take the dime. He was yeah. going to depression. And, and Smart. Uh, he eventually, at age 15, his father let him buy a Model A and a trailer. Now he had to wait until he was 16 to title it. He paid $50 for the Model A and the trailer, and it cost him $100 for the insurance for the first year. Um, but he then began hauling trash in a Model A to the trailer. Holy crap. Eventually to pickup trucks and whatnot. Well, by the time I graduated from college in 75, um, he had taken on a partner who was his brother in law and fellow Mr. Knotts. And uh, so I grew up, that partnership was just in place. And at some point, his two sons came into the business. Um, and one was an Annapolis graduate, University of Virginia Law School. Very bright guy, but um, not much of a businessman from my right. perspective. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and his younger brother, who was five years older than me. And I sort of, we almost grew up as close as brothers. And, and uh, 75, I after some consternation with the family, they wanted, they didn't want, they wanted to pay me $167 a week. I think it was, and I wanted 200. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, Negotiations with the family. Yeah. And, and they would, and, and uh, they wouldn't, they wouldn't come to 200. And I was bemoaning the fact to my mother at one point, and I said something to the effect, and this will probably sound really arrogant. And I don't mean it that way, but I was sure. like, I knew, I knew, I knew the businesses. Okay, I didn't think I knew them. I, I read all the trade journals since like ninth grade. I'd been reading the yeah. trade journals, and so for ten years I studied the industries and fleet management. And, blah, blah, blah. 
and nobody else in the company was actually doing that. So you're, they were in the business and not paying attention to the industry. And, you know, it's like, that's kind of crazy, but I, I, I did. And so I was bemoaning the fact that they wouldn't pay me like another $33 a week and get me to the, to the 10,400 I wanted to start. Right. At. And uh, I said, do they not know how, you know, how good I'm going to be at this? And my mother <laughs> looked at me she said if you really believe that swallow your pride take the offer and go show them okay and i I was like that's not the answer i want my 33 bucks (laughs) (laughs) um and i finally did i swallowed my pride but i went in with a great deal of incentives you know if it maybe i didn't need any more than i had but i went in like yeah i am going to show people that um i was definitely worth you know 10-4 10-4 and uh so you got a you got a show me deal i got a show a me prove deal. it deal yeah and which you know everybody needs a little incentive from time to time and sure and so it it that's that was the basis by which i started and um the focus that i had the school bus business was about 50 percent of the revenues the solid waste business was about 50 percent of the revenues um Nobody was really paying attention to the solid waste business, and it was kind of running itself on almost inertia. And I, yes. it, and um, the school bus business, when the federal court, Murray Schwartz was the judge, I think, ordered mandatory desegregation busing to happen. Yeah. The state ground bought 200 school buses, and so now your largest customer just became your largest competitor. Wow. And not a, to me, not a very um, healthy business model. Sure. And uh, the, the, the trash business at that point was uh, a very disjointed, um, lots of competitors, not a lot of um, talent or technology. There were two private companies involved, but the people who had built those two public companies in the industry at that point, but the people, the family members who had started those businesses were left there running them. So they weren't really changing anything and uh, so it was it looked to me like kind of a wild west market that you could go if you did a good job and you charged fair prices you could go build something and uh, um and i was always willing to work and in those years i worked 80 or 100 hours a week and no doubt um i can remember brian going home and as i was putting the key in the door it was midnight and I was just getting home from that. And, and I thought uh, how lucky I was, not how burdened, but how lucky I was. And my point was, you know, and, and what, I, what went through my head is you could be coming home from clerking a store for someone yeah. um, and for some minimal wage. And yeah, you're not really making any money yet, but you're building something. Yes. And, you know, you could see the sweat equity was going to eventually produce some results and uh, you know and i literally viewed it as being very fortunate to have the opportunity anyway um jump that's jumping ahead in but i went in valentine's day of 76 is when i actually started and so i'd been from june until february kind of having the great debate with my my family and doing (laughs) other things and and, so We stayed together, but it created a lot of friction. And in 
on July 3rd of 77, it was, we all decided that the Nazis would take the bus business and go off on their own. Yep. And my father and I would take the trash business and stay in, in the location where we were, which was in Newport. And then there was some real estate stuff that had to be divvied up. And it got to be really an acrimonious split. And I don't want to spend a lot of time on that. Sure. Picture the most acrimonious divorce you've ever heard of. It was that was right in line with that. Yeah, right in line with that. And um, we, you know, but it, we were on our own at that point. We began um, continued working very hard. And in May of '82, um, I caught a rumor that Waste Management, who was the largest trash company in the world at that time, probably doing six billion dollars or so, that they might be going to sell their division in Wilmington. They mm. were there. And so I had bought, I built the business in part by buying used equipment wherever I could find it and very capital intense business. Sure. Yeah. And uh, so I bought some trucks from a waste management division in Milwaukee, believe it or not, and then taken the trucks and deployed them against waste management. In wow. Um, <laughs> and um, so I called the guy that I dealt with in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and asked him who I would talk to. He gave me the regional vice president's name in Oakbrook, Illinois. And I called the guy up and asked him um, if, in fact, the rumor was true that they were looking to sell Wilmington to get out. I'd been in a complete um, galaxy eyes out price battle war with them for five yeah. years at that point. And he gave me the oh, you know, anything's for sale to price, but we haven't even considered it. But before I got off the 10-minute phone conversation, he'd given me a number. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't considered it, but here's the number. Yeah. <laughs> and a guy should never play poker. But, it, but anyway, we, through a series of negotiations, we ended up in Memorial Day weekend of 82 buying that. That doubled the comp our company's size. From about from a little over four million to with the two, we were about 4.4, 4.5 million combined. There was a lot of inflation going on in that period. Yeah, like sounds time. familiar. And the, yeah, how about that? And the the uh, the Delaware Solid Waste Authority, which was where you were mandated to dispose of trash. Trash disposal is kind of like a cost of goods sold to a lot of businesses. It's a it's a it's a huge percentage of your revenues. Yeah. And their landfill rates, they did a single year hike of 48%. Wow. So when you threw everything together, what we needed to do for general inflation, what we needed to do for um, landfill, and what we needed to do to try to right the ship because of the war that we'd been in for five years, um, we went from a 2.4 million to a 4.5 million to a $6.5 million company in a 30 day period. Holy crap. And um, somehow pulled it all together and it, and, it, and it worked out. And that was the deal that really put the rest of my career um, within reach of, of, of it uh, taking me where it's taken me. Yeah. Because at that point, we actually started to become profitable and we had lots of density and market concentration. And then we continued acquiring companies. I, I've done over 60 acquisitions in that, in that industry. Oh, wow. And uh, some small, some larger. And so we built uh, organically, but we also built through acquisition. And we gradu gradually, we you know touched Baltimore to the south and Philadelphia to the north. And so in that mid-Atlantic area, that little region, 
um, in three or four states, we had uh, within our region about 90% market share. Wow, that's incredible. Uh, yeah, and you know, we, we did it with aggressive pricing and, and good service. And yeah. uh, we, in 89, the local, we were running more, we were the largest Mack truck user in that market. And the, uh, through no fault of ours, um, the local dealership went broke. And uh, I ended up picking that up. So we got two stores, one in originally in South Wilmington, but we moved it to Newcastle and one in uh, Delmar, Maryland. And uh, we were the first end user of Mack trucks and the only to date Mack user that has ever been awarded franchise. Oh, wow. Penske, Ryder, Ralph, none of those have been given franchises and they've all sought them out. Um, That's amazing. And, yeah, it was, it was a good first. And at the time, I just, you know, they, I said, they were like, well, we'll never do it. And I said, like, well, who's your other candidate standing here? And uh, like, well, nobody. I said, if you, if you continue selling me Max, you'll have more market share in the salt waste industry than you have than you have anyway. Yeah. And so what is it you're concerned about? And that seemed to win them over. And we went ahead and did a, did a good, really good job with them with that. That business has since been sold, but um, it ultimately, they were selling, or we were selling uh, uh, three to 500 used trucks a year and two to 300 new trucks a year. And uh, was the number seven largest um, Mac franchise for selling parts in the country. Wow. And That's when amazing. You, when you consider a man, the five boroughs are one dealership of New York and right. all of South Florida is one dealership. The city of Chicago is franchise. Houston's one franchise. So you take those supermarkets out of the equation and, you know, we were number seven across the country. In little old Delaware. In little old Delaware and Delmar, Maryland. Yeah. You built a kind of an interesting business in that you had a ton of organic growth, then you mastered acquisition, and then you found ancillary businesses that relate to your business to, to pick them up. So you, you had, you know, really a, a well-rounded approach to, to really grow your business. A little vertical yeah. integration. That, that's a great way. Yeah, that's a better way. Vertical integration, great way to put it. So you go from two million in revenue to four million to six million in thirty days, and then you go to a hundred million in 10, 15 years. Yeah, incredible. And All through that that strategy. Now that takes a ton of. You know, I always feel like business is part art, part science. Like you trust your gut to be able to make these acquisitions, but you're smart enough to know if the math is going to work out, right? Um, Numbers have to work, but there's you know, and there's there's defensive and offensive reasons you do acquisitions. Um, but ultimately, um, something has to pay for itself. The, as you get more scale in that industry and you, and you improve route density, it becomes very much like a public utility. Yeah. And so the cost of adding, you know, 20 houses on, on a street that you're already servicing becomes next to nil. Yeah. Uh, Good point. Um, and so by increasing density and improving our cost of operations um, through efficiencies, you know, you get to the point that a competitor has a very difficult time dealing with you. Um, yeah. And 
um, coming and competing. Certainly not going to do it on price. And if you, yeah, if you take care of your service, um, you know, if you think about the amount of percentage of disposal in, uh, income or revenue profits that a business spends on trash removal services or that an individual homeowner spends, it's so far down the list of priorities. Yep. That the main thing is you don't want to come home repeatedly to it being left in your front yard and worse yet, you know, knocked over and spilled. You don't want that. It's all the negatives. Yep. And so if if we eliminate the negatives, you come home to an empty container and don't have to give another thought to it. Um, so our our entire business philosophy is spun around: keep the customer off the telephone. It's great. They, great way to put it. If they never have to call you, yeah, then you're doing your job. Yep, and uh, that that works. It really does. Yeah. Now, now this, this one, um, a lot of may throw people in a, in sideways a little bit, but people have asked me how I got from the trash business to the warehouse business to the hotel business, and my response is, they're all very similar, and they're repetitive revenue streams. Uh, basically, I used to rent boxes to people to put their trash in, and that's really where the profits are. Okay. Yeah. Then I started renting boxes to people to put their business in. Yeah. It, I mean, it I does started, make sense. It's not a giant started, leap. And then I started renting boxes to people to spend the night in. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> um, not, I mean, you know, repetitive revenues because of land development rules and whatnot, very very heavily regulated, environmentally sensitive. Yeah. Um, lots and lots of similar barriers to entry that we dealt with in the solid waste industry, um, capital intensive. Um, so, you know, using banks and leverage and financing and um, projections of what we would do with a project in the future so that we could run a pro forma and deliver on our own pro forma, both to ourselves and any financial. Yeah. Um, we're involved with, you know, all of those things really aren't that that far distant from what I started out doing. Very transferable for sure. That does make a lot of sense. Yep. Um, I, I'm interested, you know, you, you mentioned going into to the warehouse space. So arguably you have probably one of the most important real estate transactions to happen in the state of Delaware in 50 years. It was a significant one, that's for sure. Yeah. And, and you know, we so for those of you who don't know, there was an old uh, GM uh, assembly plant in part of Wilmington that sat vacant for a very long time, 10 years yeah. longer. Even, even a little longer, but yeah. Yeah. And there were many attempts to turn this into something, but no one could ever push it <laughs> past, really not even past the 50-yard line, let alone all the way through. So not only did, were you able to do that, get through all the environmental issues and the regulatory issues and the governmental issues, but you end up finding quite possibly the best tenant and the best possible outcome for Amazon to move in. So can you talk, I'm, I'm fascinated by this deal. So I'd love to like a little like inside baseball behind that. Okay, when, when I was a kid, um, the, the GM assembly plant, in 1957 became a trash customer for my father okay and so they had had prior to that they burned their plant trash on the property they oh. had an open burning dump um 
and um, GM had had an assembly plant have a, have a serious fire where um, sparks had jumped from an on-site burning operation into an upholstery area and caused significant damage. Oh, wow. And, and they decided to change policy worldwide in 1957. No more on-site disposal <laughs> of, of waste at any GM facility, any place on the planet. So in 57, it went out to bid. My father was the successful bidder. And the first day of operations, I was on a seat of a pickup truck as a five-year-old um, and went into the plant with it. Amazing. Roll that forward for decades. I was in and out of that plant in various capacities. Later, when I got my driver's license, I would sometimes drive trucks there. Um, prior to that, at age like, from age 12 on, they had some fields that I mowed every summer, and we lived two blocks away. In the summer, if my windows were open, I could hear the cars coming out of the plant. Wow. <laughs> so I knew the, the property intimately for 55 years, uh, yeah. 60, you know, and I knew where the environmental issues were likely going to be. Um, what they were likely going to be. There had been some extensive environmental studies done from my solid waste years. <clears throat> uh, I settled five Superfund sites that predated me just wow. because the company was um, had been there since the, since the late 30s, um, early 40s, and had used sites, three of which Newcastle County, owned and operated but we had gone to and they turned into super fun sites and so anyway i'd had extensive involvement with regulatory environment and, um, on environmental affairs and so the gm thing was kind of right in our wheelhouse and yeah Feller, who was my environmental officer at harvey harvey is still with me to this day felt oh, wow. he went to ud and he graduated with an environmental engineering major and a poli sci major Wow. Combine those two things, and he's very politically astute. And uh, so <clears throat> we've worked together very well for 30 plus years. And, and uh, so GM was kind of a natural. There was a section of that plant that had about 185,000 feet that had been built in the um, mid 80s, like 85. And the seller had an environmental report on it that said the roof was um, um, asbestos-containing materials at ACM. Yeah. And, then, and it was a $2 million cost to dispose of the material off the roof. And as we got into the deal, I was starting to now focus on, you say, well, that's $2 million in detail, but we're getting down to the, <laughs> out of the tens of millions and into the ones of millions. Yeah. <laughs> and looked at it and I said, you know, basically called BS on it that there was I said there's not a there's not a chance in the world that that building has asbestos in the roof and everybody literally everybody in the room said that Tom it's been studied you know it was, it's it's been analyzed and I said it's the analysis is wrong or somebody in GM was part of a fraud and I said asbestos was gone from the auto industry in the mid 70s gone wow. yeah it came out of brakes it came out of clutches the pipe insulation that was asbestos got removed because the, the United Auto Workers did not want their their people working in 
asbestos contaminated air. Yeah. So asbestos, these plants got decontaminated, cleaned by 85 General Motors was not allowing asbestos any place in yeah. any facility for any reason. So there's no way they would have put a roof with asbestos. No way. Yeah. So we ended up having it retested. And what they found is there were a few little places where tape, flashing tape, with a legitimate amount of asbestos, huh. even by today's standards, was, and this is what had been sampled and not the general roof material. And so I think it cost 10 grand or something to get rid of all of the flashing legally. Incredible. And, yeah, and it was a $2 million swing on the deal because the roof came off for a whole lot less money. <laughs> wow. Um, but that came about from having grown up in and around that plant. It was just yeah. a case of, it's kind of an easy deal in that I already knew most of the information that I needed to know. So it was, it was. That's a very Delaware thing. Very Delaware. Yeah. It doesn't happen in, in other parts of the, uh, other, of the country. That's for sure. To be, have that yeah. intimate and, you know, obviously to have your, your environmental person with you for 30 plus years, even, you know, still working with today. So how, how do you find Amazon as the, uh, company to, to take that space? We had done a deal over in New Jersey, um, a few years ago, uh, we bought an 1,100-acre parcel near Deptford, New Jersey, okay. called Northeast Business Park, um, or Northeast Business, anyway, NEBC um, campus. And um, about half of it was subaqueous wetlands and half of it was developable. We figured the seller thought they might get um, five, six million square feet. I thought we could get upwards of eight, seven and a half to eight million feet on it it's what it's one of the things that is still my role is kind of massing plans for yep. properties and uh, so we bought that property and we ended up selling a piece to cardinal health and the realtor who had introduced me to it called us up one day and said i have somebody that wants to buy an ebc from you and i was like well they're gonna have to spend a lot of money because <laughs> we you know we're looking at the next 10 years we're going to be that's this is where we're going to be working is definitely yeah. and um and we we looked at it as at least a 10-year development plan and um so because the, the at that point the total market was about eight hundred thousand feet a year over the mm -hmm. absorption so do the arithmetic if we yeah. got a hundred percent of the market we were going to be 10 years and so at any rate um one thing led to another, and this group called Dermody Group um, came in, and they were highly interested. And they had, um, I think, 300, bill, 300 million a year of California teachers' pension fund money that they were investing, in addition to other investment investors. And they had a very, very long horizon and outlook on it, and no debt. And would they take? We had some leverage. And that was 2006, probably. And I was starting to hear terms in the real estate market that really made me um, very uneasy, like uh, no doc loans from oh, yeah. <laughs> and um, the Wild West. Yeah, well, and, and true story, I was riding home. I was on Route 141 and Route 48, sitting at the red light. And some business show I'm listening to on the radio, 
and they start talking about subprime lending. Yeah. I thought they were talking about borrowing below prime, and I'm sort of like almost expletive laden. What the hell is this? You know, I should be borrowing below prime. That's <laughs> 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 really, I kind of figured out what it was really about. It's yeah. kind of like sub. Prime borrowers with no dock loans, and that's where the residential real estate market is. Yep. Um, and I started to get nervous about real estate, and, uh, and that again, that probably was two thousand five ish. Yeah. And so that's good. Guys, that's incredible foresight. These guys came in in two thousand six, approximate, and we cut a deal. We actually tripled our money and cut a deal to sell it to them and walked away and you know so 2007 8 9 10 11 came along and we were well armed yeah um so the gm deal um dermody <laughs> we had maintained conversations with them off and on over the years and one thing led to another and they were a, a, a kind of a, a approved um, developer for, for, for uh, Amazon. And so one thing led to another, and that's how we got into Amazon. That facility is their largest in the world, distribution facility in the world. Oh, I didn't realize that. That's amazing. 4.2 million feet. And then they added another couple hundred thousand feet in a standalone building behind it um, for last mile deliveries. Amazing. Amazing how that all works. You have the foresight to, to sell that property. Then you have enough cash on hand that you're sitting, you know, in good shape to take opportunities when the li literal shit hit the fan with the rest of the economy, especially in the real estate market. And um, you, you're able to work out this deal that no one has been able had been able to do before you, which is pretty amazing. Sometimes better lucky than good. You know? Yeah. So you have another property, which I find that was very difficult to get across the finish line. So anyone that's been to Dewey Beach has certainly gone to Taco Toss <laughs> at one point. <laughs> at one point. And for those who don't know, Taco Toss, there's a bar that overlooks the bay. Uh, it's called The Lighthouse, where people uh, would they would sell tacos for a dollar. And uh, it was a great happy hour spot on Friday afternoons. But you ended up taking sort of a, a landmark uh, in Dewey and turning it into the first Hyatt in the state of Delaware. Um, and there was tons of, uh, from what I understand, tons of red tape that you needed to get through to get that deal across the line. So, um, uh, se Seven years in, in lawsuits with the town and- um, Only seven? <laughs> yeah, I think it was seven and three and a half million dollars in legal fees. Wow. Um, and, but it was a deal that one, I believed in and two, you know, sometimes there's deals that you're just not going to lose. Yeah. And 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 there's fights that you're just not going to lose. Yep. And um, if you feel like you are in the right and the motives that, that people had were there was a group that literally propositioned me that um, if I didn't sell that property to them, I was never going to make money there. Wow. Uh, and I said, you know, I've been in Delaware my whole life. That's a fight you better bring your lunch to. Yeah, and and uh, that's that's hundred percent true. And so they then proceeded. They got control of town government, and they then proceeded to try to change land use rules. And it was an ugly, ugly fight. Holy very, crap! Very um, 
very unusual for Delaware. I've been doing business here a long time. Very collegial state, for sure, for business. Delaware is a really clean state. People go, I'm telling you, the politics here, by and large, yeah, from time to time, there's somebody. But this is, you know, I I did a lot of business in Delaware County, Pennsylvania. I've done a lot of business in other states and other jurisdictions. Our court system's great. It's the best one. The, the appointed judges as opposed to elected judges yeah uh, is you know you're, you're elected officials a, are accessible yeah well they're and the elected officials are, are are definitely accessible and responsive and um it's politically judicially um Delaware is a great place to live and do business it really really is yeah and I, i've only been doing business here well, you know, I started full time in 76, but I grew up in a family business. So I've seen it for, you know, I'm 70 now. I've seen it for 65 years. You sure. Know, you know, listening to my parents talk about <laughs> what was happening here and there and yep. you know, by osmosis, you know, you, you kind of, but it is. And, but that, that was a really, really hideous fight. Um, we lost a decision in the Superior Court that wasn't based on the facts or the law. We wow. appealed that to the Supreme Court, got a unanimous decision in our favor. Um, then another group tried to throw a same group, really, but another, okay, with the town not involved, threw a lawsuit at us. We won in Superior Court. They appealed it. We then won in Supreme Court and got another unanimous decision. So we went to the Delaware Supreme Court twice on that on that property holy crap and think about this dewey is probably i don't know 50 square blocks of property yep that block that one block now funds about 12 to 15 percent of the entire town budget yeah i bet yeah you know if you try to go stay in a hotel down there no no knock on the other places down there there's not a nice place to stay besides your place right well thank you and and i would agree um, but I do think thank you. The it, interesting, you know, when something like that, I, I try to break things to the simple and uh, simplest kind of, kind of common denominator. Dewey Beach was known as a college town. Yes. For, for 60 years. Yep. And so some of those collegians in 60 years had graduated, become successful. Yes. And had, had disposable income that was not limited to what it was when they were in college and they had families and, you know, they weren't going to be living the college approach, but they might very well like to come back to Dewey beach and have some nice digs, someplace that they would actually take their family. Absolutely. And sort of revisit some of their haunts and revisit some of their younger years, maybe. And just, you know, it's a two block wide stretch and we're on the bay and you're blocked to the ocean. So it's, a, it's got some real attributes that way. Agreed. And um, when we were going through the Great Recession, we were hoping, I didn't want to be in the hotel business. I wanted to be in the real estate business. And I absolutely had, I was kick, led kicking and screaming into the hotel business, if you will. But I had, in look, doing massing plans on the property and looking at the land use plans, a hotel had to happen there. It, it was one of the the way parking rationale was. And yeah. There was a commercial to residential ratio because of our zoning. And it, 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 there had to be a hotel in the mix of that total project. Yeah. 
So I wanted to basically condominiumize out a chunk of that property and get a hotel um, operator to come in and build a hotel and, and run. The Great Recession was still happening. Nobody had any money. No banks were lending. And it, it was patently obvious that if we were going to move forward, we had to go do it ourselves. So we ended up um, doing the first Hyatt in the state of Delaware. And uh, we, we uh, chose Hyatt because we thought hanging a Hyatt sign, we, we also did 83 condominiums there. And we thought that, you know, Having a condominium at the Hyatt Place probably sounded a little more upscale than having a condominium at the Red Roof. Or- <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's marketing 101, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so literally, that you know, we went to Hyatt, and and actually, every you know, every major um, hotel brand had approved us. Um, Marriott, Hilton, um, the Holiday Inn people. The, Everybody liked the location, but nobody was had any money to put in it or do it themselves. And so we ended up going with doing a Hyatt place and uh, um, started as a 90 room hotel. It grew to 130 rooms. And then of the 83 condominiums, we kept, I think, 16 or 17 of those. And for a first for Hyatt, we actually put those into the Hyatt program. So um, I don't know whether anybody else has been approved to do this, but if you go on that, if you go on the Hyatt website, you can yeah. actually book a condominium. It's the only Hyatt place. Um, oh. for, it was the first one, and I think it's still the only one that you can 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 book a condominium, not just a hotel room. Oh, that's great, and not a suite. And when we were when I was thinking about doing that, or we were thinking about it, um, some of the people that we sold condos to were Airbnb them or running them through local real estate firm um, and renting them. And I didn't want to get in competition with my customers. I, I didn't, I didn't, well, I just didn't think that was right. Yeah. It didn't feel comfortable. And so we went a completely separate way, a way that was not um, open to them. And that was to go through the, the Hyatt site and it's they're, they're booked and operated like you would a hotel, um, not like a condominium. So that's worked out very well. And then, you know, we kept going and we've done a number of Hyatt's now ourselves. And, um, and then some other brand, Hilt, we've got a couple of Hilton things, a couple of Marriott things and, and another, I don't know, we, it seems like we keep five or six sort of in the pipeline now. Yeah. Um, and we're growing pretty rapidly with that business. It, going through all those legal challenges, did you ever just at any point go, you know what, F this. I don't want to deal with this anymore. The, or are, I know you're a competitive person. Notice that. <laughs> What's that? You've noticed that. Yeah. <laughs> so I'd imagine that would, that could have driven you to, to not actually just say, screw it. I'm not dealing with this anymore. Well, there are times that I have pushed forward. Sometimes you push forward to find out where that leads you. Um, now, a lot of times you kind of like to know, maybe more where you're going that yeah you know look before you leap as opposed to um jump just jumping out of the airplane and hoping you did have a parachute um dewey we we were invited in by the mm-hmm. town and then this group got you know we were going to build it 30 
six, 36 stories tall. We were blocking out the sun on the ocean side. Yeah, that's no good. Uh, it, 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 so all these just untrue rumors got started and yeah. with, with purpose. And uh, it ultimately led to a great big fight. Now, um, that's one of the – that's in the top five Hyatts worldwide out of 500, that site. Incredible. It's, not, it's number three, actually. And we run one on a fee-for-service basis in Ocean City, and that's number five. So two of the top Hyatts, two of the top five in the world are we're involved with and very fortunate. And that's a tribute to my two partners in TKO. Um, Vince DeFonso and Costas Kalajaropoulos. There's a good Irish. <laughs> Costas and Carney, I think, you know. <laughs> yeah, very similar. Very, very similar. similar. <laughs> and, and uh, uh, they, you know, because they know what they're doing. You sure. Know? Like, so I know the real estate side of things pretty well. They know the hotel side beyond pretty well. And yeah. uh, so it's earned us a lot of respect with with Hyatt and if we go to them with a location they know we haven't like just walked up and said well what do you think of this one I mean, yeah we're gonna throw a hotel here and hope it works yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so so it, we're having fun with this business and it's it's fun for me to see the organization continue to grow and see yeah. um, people young people coming into it and seeing them um, seeing a pathway for their career, yeah. and you know uh, it, that that's that's cool. Uh, that's really very is. rewarding. It is, and yeah. I've, I've got a I've got a woman who works for me that started with me in 1982, and she had just graduated from college, and she's still with me now. Her daughter has graduated from college, has worked with us a little bit part time while she was going to school, and is now working on her PhD in psychology and. Um, She's gotten married, and I mean, you know, and I watch this this whole um, kind of a lifetime almost. Yes, yeah, you have a family. Yeah, you know? yeah, very much so. And I've got another another lady who has worked with me since '85, and she came in an acquisition. And I've often said the only good thing I got in that acquisition was Marge. Um, it was definitely not uh, um, was not the business so much. Yeah, but. Um, but yeah, Marge Billingsley, and you know, all she's done since '85 is a great job. Any place we put her, and she was with me at the hauling company, and she's now with me in the real estate company. And, um, and uh, my kids have learned, you know, she's known them practically their entire lives, right? And, yeah, and my kids have uh learned a tremendous amount. And she's one of those people, she's the first one there in the morning approaching 80 80 years old she's the first one there in the morning and the last one to go home at night and i love it that's um, great that's so yeah. great yeah so it's good stuff um well i we could i could talk to you forever you you have incredible stories and and unfortunately we're we're out of time but if uh people want to learn more about you or your business where where can they find you um t harvey at harveyhanna.com great and, and then your uh, website's harveyhanna.com, right? And harveyhanna.com is the website. And TKO is one of our businesses. And Trash Tech is the waste hauling company. Um, and we're, we're starting to do some really exciting things there. And uh, seeing that. And there's, you know, one, there's a lot of capital pointed at it. Two, there's a lot of talent. And that, that's, a, that's a fun combination. Because I may have had some talent in my younger years.
business, but I had no capital. Yeah. And, you know, getting over that hurdle is not easy. Um, and, uh, but boy, it's a lot more fun when you got, when you can point both at it. Funny how things are cyclical. You're back at the trash business again. It just was, it, it was weird. We actually set a guy up in it and then that didn't work out. And so we had to kind of sever that. And then um, I got stuck as the one that kind of knew what he was doing until we could find somebody to actually come in. And um, and he, and we found a guy that's uh, named Steve Barry, who's super, super, super experienced and talented. And like I say, I, he's the guy I cut the deal with when I merged with USA Waste. And, yeah. Um, he went on and you know, it finally occurred to him. He was buying, he bought over 200 companies. Now I, I bought 60 and I, I told him that uh, <laughs> the difference was he, I'm, I was spending my money and he was spending public money. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Oh, I but, love it. Uh, super talented guy. And so, you know, you, you hit a place where, look, you've played team sports a lot. Yeah. Um, having a great team around you because you're not going to win a football game by yourself. You're not going to win a basketball so game by yourself. You're going to win it because you got solid coaches and you got great talent that you don't have to worry about. Are they over there? You know they're over there. Yep. It's a great point. It is. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for, for being welcome. on. I appreciate thank it. You. Thank um, you for asking. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if you want to uh, learn a little more about how my firm helps business owners with their financial planning, visit riversedgeadvisors.com. And to hear past episodes of the podcast, go to happy-half-hour.com. Moment of truth, Aslan Beer, Cortez and his men, Virginia Brewery. It is a, uh, I'll give it a four out of five. I'll drink it again. That's good. Yeah. That's a good rating. Tom, cheers. Thank you so much for, for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Happy Half Hour with an Entrepreneur, sponsored by Rivers Edge Advisors. For more information on how Rivers Edge Advisors can help you, visit their website at riversedgeadvisors.com. If you'd like to connect with Brian Carney for business advice or just to share a beer, follow him on Instagram at riversedgeadvisors underscore LLC.